G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne with the financial support of the Community Radio Federation. We come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. We believe this is a critical issue facing Australia. The way that we treat those looking for work is shameful. It's uh, overly punitive. The system uh, in its privatised state is far too driven by compliance and by checking boxes to try to ensure that people are meeting their so-called mutual obligations with not nearly enough of the mutuality in that equation. That's the voice of Emma Dawson from Per Capita at the launch of a new report, Working It Out a look at employment services in Australia. Stick Together was there. We will hear from Owen Bennett from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, more from Emma Dawson and from the workers who were part of the focus groups that gave them a voice in this report. But first, some workers' news. A 50-year-old woman worker, Jacqueline Lynn Francis, was killed in Rockingham, Perth, Western Australia, on Saturday night. The mental health worker was on a home visit alone when she was stabbed in the neck by a client. Western Australian Mental Health Minister Roger Cook said Ms Francis was a mental health worker employed by Nimai National, which was contracted by the state government to deliver mental health services. Health Services Union, HSU Secretary Dan Hill said his members had been shaken by the incident and the union was worried about safety. Our members who work in these areas will be very saddened by the event but also have a heightened awareness of their own personal safety in these circumstances, he said. Our union is concerned for the safety of workers and health professionals, particularly in the mental health sphere. Mr Hill said existing safety protocols meant staff almost never performed home visits alone. It is very rare for our members to attend a patient's home or a mental health patient's home alone, he said. Our thoughts are with Mrs Francis' family, friends, colleagues and loved ones. Western Australian police are investigating the circumstances that led to Ms Francis' death. Australia's new Federal Environment Minister Melissa Price is proving to be out of step with uh, the latest reports on coal and its involvement in climate change. Ms Melissa Price said that uh, some of the world's leading client scientists are drawing a long bow in calling for an end to coal power in a bid to limit global warming. In a special report released this week, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, said global greenhouse gas emissions must reach zero by about 2050 in order to stop global warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius. The authors warned that if warming was allowed to reach 2 Celsius, the world would risk hitting tipping points, setting a course towards uncontrollable temperatures. And they said the use of coal for electricity generation would have to drop to between 0 and 2% of current usage. Ms Melissa Price, in her first broadcast interview since taking up the role, argued that coal does 
form a very important part of the Australian energy mix. We make no apology for the fact that our focus at the moment is getting electricity prices down, she said. Every year there's new technology with respect to coal and what its contribution is to emissions. To say that it's got to be phased out by 2050 is drawing a very long bow. The minister, who used to work in the mining sector, suggested the 91 scientists behind the IPCC report had got it wrong. I just don't know how you could say by 2050 that you're not going to have technology that's going to enable good, clean technology when it comes to coal, she said. That would be irresponsible for us to be able to commit to that. The word irresponsible, it appears, has just taken on a new meaning. If leading up to the first mass workers' rally in Perth on October the 18th and October the 23rd in Melbourne and other cities, kicking off the next stage of the Change the Rules campaign, have led you wondering how beholden to Conservative governments are big business. Get a load of what's happening in New South Wales. The Guardian reported that the decision by Premier Gladys Spiridinklian came late on Friday afternoon after intense pressure from the Daily Telegraph and 2GB's Alan Jones to accept a plan by Racing New South Wales to promote the Everest Cup on the iconic landmark. Racing New South Wales applied to the Opera House to use it as a venue to promote a horse race on Saturday 13th of October. But Sydney Opera House Chief Executive Louise Heron drew the line at projecting horses' names the name of the race and the numbers of the barrier onto the Opera House sales. Stick Together has attached a picture to the podcast for you to see a new definition of the Abbott mantra, Australia is open for business. From Perth on October the 18th to Mackay on October the 23rd to Bruni October the 24th and Canberra November 20, workers will be calling for change Uh, at rallies for the dates and locations for the upcoming nationwide Change the Rules local events, go to changetherules.org.au forward slash. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. A couple of weeks ago, the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union... The AUWU joined with progressive think tank per capita and Monash University to launch a groundbreaking report on how Australian government policy is stopping Australians getting work. Working it out, a look at employment services in Australia brings the voice of the unemployed to the policy table. Owen Bennett from the AUWU. When the Australian Unemployed Workers Union uh, formed four years ago now, we had an important choice to make. We needed to decide how best to fight for the rights and dignity of unemployed workers despite the slight problem of having no money and limited resources. Given the barrage of attacks being waged against the unemployed by successive governments, it was hard to know where to begin. Talking to unemployed workers at meetings across the country in 2015, a common theme emerged. Not only were unemployed workers not receiving the employment services the government was paying around $1.5 billion for each year, they were being cut off New Start, even though they had done nothing wrong. What was even more shocking to us was the complete absence of any government support for people dealing with 
this very punitive system. The National Welfare Rights Network is not funded to provide advice about employment services issues and the government's complaints line refuses to intervene and directs people back to their job agent. Unemployed workers facing an abusive employment service provider were effectively trapped. Unaware of their rights under the system, most unemployed workers either submitted to this punishment, left the social security system, or became one of the many Australians working below the minimum wage in the cash economy. Unemployed workers were understandably too scared to come forward with their stories of abuse, or were ignored when they did. This had to change. Over the next three years, the AUWU dedicated ourselves to empowering unemployed workers in their dealings with job agencies. We believe this to be the first step to building a movement of unemployed workers demanding a better system, a system in which everyone had a right to dignified social security and employment. In November 2015, we launched Australia's first volunteer-run national advocacy hotline, providing free advice to unemployed workers about their rights at employment services. By April the next year, we had published our first Unemployed Workers' Rights Guide, which was available for free on our website. In the space of a few months, the AUWU, which is an organisation run by the unemployed, for the unemployed, with no affiliations, next to no money, had effectively become the national authority on the rights of unemployed workers at employment services. This is a scathing indictment, I believe, on the government and the lack of services they were providing. Our advocacy services were inundated with stories of abuse. One of the many injustices of the system meant that Centrelink imposed financial penalties on the recommendations of employment service provider before the unemployed worker had a chance to appeal. The money was taken out before they could appeal. Effectively, they were guilty until they proved themselves to be innocent. Our first advocacy report, released in November 2016, found that 52% of callers were being bullied by their employment service provider. 30% raised safety concerns about their work for the dull side. This trend was reflected in the wider statistics. As we state in our report, in 2015-16, a record 2.1 million payment suspensions were imposed on unemployed workers by employment services. That's a 50% increase on the previous year and a seven-fold increase since 2010. So since the introduction of Job Active, penalties increased 50% in one year. It was revealed recently that Centrelink overturned half of these penalties, half of these penalties, because mostly unemployed workers were found to have a reasonable excuse. It's hard to believe even now that a government-funded service could have a 50% error rate and not be shut down. But that is exactly what happened. Work for the dole, injuries increased five times after just one year of job active, including the tragic death of Josh Park Fing in Toowoomba. A government audit found that 42% of sites did not meet basic safety standards, but yet again, the government did not shut it down. In fact, they expanded it. Last year, Minister Cash even publicly criticised the AUWU, stating that, and I quote, Australian taxpayers, and indeed those looking for work, would be offended by a union whose sole purpose appears to be keeping members out of gainful employment and encouraging them to shirk their responsibilities. If Cash had looked at our material, 
she would have seen that we were educating people about their rights at job agencies, work her department was meant to be doing but failing to do. Cash's public attack showed us that the government were intent not only on punishing the unemployed, but also shutting them out of the policy process. Unemployment policy must be the only area of government policy that not only are the policy targets not given a seat at the table, but are also publicly disparaged for trying to have their say. Luckily for the AUWU, this was around the time that I first met Warwick Smith from Per Capita, and this report was set in motion. One of the key aims of the report was to include the voices <coughs> and experiences of unemployed workers into the policy process. You're listening to Stick Together, the only national program devoted to union news and workers' stories. We are looking at the launch of the report, Working It Out, a look at employment services in Australia. Per capita's Emma Dawson gives us a lowdown on the recommendations out of the report. Then we hear from some of the people who were part of the focus groups. This is a surprisingly brutal system that we encountered, um, particularly since those changes in July that have created quite deliberately a demerit point system which is outside the scope of, of social security law. Uh, which means that people now have no right to appeal to the department to overturn a decision made by an officer in a private job service provider. And not only is that unfair, I would say, on the unemployed person, it's a huge responsibility to put on a person working in often under-resourced and understaffed organisations. A few more statistics that will bring this really to light of why this is a uniquely brutal and particularly Australian approach to the management of unemployed people. We have the lowest unemployment benefit in the OECD. We have, along with the UK, the harshest regime of penalties in the OECD. And we spend less than half the average amount of money in OECD countries spent on helping people find work on employment systems. And yet, as we can see from this report, the money that we are spending is not producing outcomes other than to traumatise people. So what do we suggest? We uh, suggest, a, firstly, a government commitment to full employment and the enactment of policies to achieve that, and we think that that is where everything starts. Um, we now have a... We have had for a long time a system that uh, uses uh, slackness in the labour market, basically uses unemployment, unemployed people to manage inflation and to keep down wage growth. Uh, and if we could return to a system that put the dignity of work and finding people work first, I think we go a long way towards solving a lot of these problems. It can be done. Um, Australia's unemployment rate is currently at 5.3%. You'll hear a lot about jobs and growth from those in power, um, but the employment rate's been stuck in the mid-fives now for over five years, and we've seen comparable OECD nations bring their unemployment rate down well below 4%. And I'm not talking about, um, you know, countries that we don't have a lot in common with. The US, the UK, Germany all have unemployment rates now that start with a three or a four. We're not seeing a wage breakout in those countries and we're not seeing an inflation breakout. So it's absolutely achievable for the government to do that here. Secondly, and we think this is critical, um, while we may not be able immediately to renationalise the system, although some of, us, some of us would say that's what's needed, um, we think it's an urgent need to restore some market share to public sector provision, particularly for people who are in long-term unemployment, who have special requirements. They may be uh, older, they may be in that 10-year period between 55 and accessing the age pension, where we know it's virtually impossible to get another secure job. 
uh, at, at that age before, and, and that, that leads to a lot of people living uh, in poverty before they wait to access retirement income. So we think um, restoring a share to, to public sector provision for those people, for uh, young unemployed people, particularly in regional and rural areas where youth unemployment is very high, and for the long-term unemployed, and create a system there that is that allows those uh, public sector providers to have the time to spend with people to really understand their needs is critical. Um, but for the rest and for the whole system, we think uh, the establishment of an employment services ombudsman is critical. Um, it will provide a, a, a method for dispute and complaint resolution and monitoring and evaluating the system consistently so that we don't go for five years between looking at this thing, by which time you've had a generation of people uh, in a lot of pain and suffering. We think it's really important that we separate the enforcement of mutual obligations from the provision of employment services. So if you're someone that's meant to be helping someone find work, that should be your primary focus. At the moment, too much focus uh, for those people that are engaged in that work is spent on monitoring compliance, doling out penalties, monitoring the activities of people rather than focusing first and foremost on finding them work. And this is I think possibly one of our most important and, and urgent recommendations, which is that they, um, the ability to overturn demerits, to overturn penalties, to intervene and correct penalties must be returned urgently to public sector responsibility. It's simply unsupportable for a democracy like ours to have a situation where your income can be cut off by a person and you have no recourse to public appeal. We think that there should be standardised training for employment services staff and limits on the maximum caseload size of consultants. The people that are working in these often very... A, a lot of the non-profit, um, smaller service providers are genuinely staffed by people that want to do the right thing and want to do their best, but they're not supported with adequate resources. They've got up to 150 caseloads on their books at any one time. They simply don't have the time to spend with people and the contracts don't allow that. We think training and a maximum caseload limit would, would be, go a long way towards fixing that. And then two issues that will make a real material difference in the immediate circumstances of people that are, are living uh, um, on New Start or youth allowance at the moment. We must immediately increase the rate of New Start by $75 a week. So we're adding this report to the Raise the Rate campaign that's been so <coughs> successfully run by ACOS and we're calling on the government and the opposition to commit to that increase now. And we're also repeating a call we've made in other reports recently, particularly um, our cost of living and, and analysis of the adequacy of the age pension, that uh, Commonwealth rent assistance should be indexed to the price of housing. Uh, it's currently indexed to CPI and, as we know, housing costs in Australia are outstripping, outstripping CPI growth by a factor of six to one. So if rent assistance isn't keeping pace with the cost of housing, I'm not talking about the cost of buying a three-bedroom townhouse in Sydney, I'm talking about the cost of renting an apartment that you can afford to live on. Um, then we're not going to do much to help people with keeping a roof over their heads. And I'd refer you back to the Anglicare report that came out in April this year that found that there were three properties in capital cities in Australia, three that were affordable to a single person living on New Start. That's nationwide. We think, and there are some additional recommendations, I won't go on about those, I'll let you read them, but we think these are things that could make a real difference quite quickly and we'll be advocating for them at the highest levels of politics uh, over coming months. Um, and we do have a record of some success in that regard. We were delighted yesterday that the opposition announced uh, two policies that we recommended in our Not So Super for Women report last year, which were the um, pay payment of superannuation on paid parental leave and the abolition of the $450 a month threshold under 
under which you don't get paid super. They're two things that we uh, recommended uh, about 15 months ago and have been lobbying for ever since, along with our partners at the ASU. Uh, so we're hopeful that with uh, enough attention and concentrated effort on our part and by the part uh, people who are here today and uh, share these views that we'll be able to see some real change for people that are caught in this very brutal system. Are you happy to have been part of the focus group and uh, what it gave you? What, what, what was the opportunity? It was good to be part of the focus group, yeah, to be able to be heard, yeah. Mm. How big was the group that you were in? It was, what, six or eight? Six or seven in Geelong, yeah. Well, I'm the person who was asking the questions. Yeah. <laughs> so I was asking people about their experience of being unemployed. There wasn't any particular um, underlying agenda other than tell me what it's like for you. Um, so people describe their experience of going to a job active provider, um, the problems that they've had, the kind of help that they wanted, and how that compared with the kind of help that they actually got. So what was what what is what kind of help did you want? I wanted help actually getting a job. Yeah. And um I found that I was being parked which um came up which um because well, you're an older person like me. Yes. And um <laughs> they'll say uh you've got all these requirements but uh you're not getting anything in return. Yeah. Yeah. Was that your experience? Yeah, basically, yeah. What was your background, work background? Uh, nursing and library, yeah. Right, and you couldn't find any work there? No. Oh, well, I can't do the nursing anymore. Um, I don't have that qualification anymore, but... Um, and I also have a um, bad back, so, yeah. Yeah. So they weren't in any way able to come up with a work program for you? A strategy? Well, they just didn't supply much help, really. Yeah. So, what did they expect from you? Were you having to go for 10 jobs every two weeks? or Actually, um, I'm, I'm in the disability uh, employment stream. Yeah. And um, so, I was only, I'm only required one job per month. Yeah. Oh, that's lucky. Yeah, but I was looking for a lot more than that and I was just having no luck at all. I'm actually just working now, just doing some casual care work, but it's um, community access only, so there's no lifting, you know, cleaning or personal care involved. It's just picking up clients and taking them where they need to go and spending a bit of time with them. Yeah. So did you find that work or did they find that work for you? I found that through an agency on Facebook. <laughs> so what you were doing was coming up with a strategy on your own? Yeah, basically. You, yeah, you're left to your own devices really. And so when someone came in, are you a member of the Australian Unemployed Workers yes. Union? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and they've been really helpful. Owen is fantastic. Um, the book is put together with all our, our rights. I mean, you you just get so browbeaten, you you forget that you have rights. Yeah, yeah. So, Is there anything else you want to say? No, but it's uh, it's just good to see this publication, and hopefully, 
they, they can um, get some changes happening in Parliament. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah. This idea that people who are unemployed aren't actual citizens, this is the thing that needs to change, isn't it? Oh, yeah, the stigma behind be- being unemployed is incredible. Yeah, we're all lab- like considered, you know, layabouts, drug addicts, alcoholics, whatever. Yeah, lazy. Um, that's not true at all. But not citizens? No, no. <laughs> thanks very much. Okay, thanks. <laughs> So you were part of the focus groups? Yes, I was. Yeah, were you? Um, what kind of experience was that for you? Um, look, it was a relief to, to um, find people. It was a relief to have that, have that opportunity to have my voice heard along with others. Um, I'm not the only one who's having a hard time negotiating this current job active system. Uh, I want to work. I've done everything that I sh- uh, have been told to do. I've retrained, I've educated, I look for work seven days a week. So where's my job? Yeah, where do you live? I live in, uh, in the north of, of Melbourne, about 10 k's out. Right, so it's, it's about location? Uh, it's a lack of jobs. It's a lack of jobs. I'm over 45. I've been working full time since I was 15. So I do have a demonstrated capacity to find and keep a job. Um, I enjoy working, um, but I'm finding that there just aren't the ongoing full-time secure jobs that there used to be. So being able to be part of the um, focus group actually gave you a voice, right? It did, and it felt empowering, and I learnt a lot more about my rights. I learnt that I wasn't on my own. Um, uh, It was great to finally find, uh, get in contact with the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union, which has helped me to educate myself and inform me of my rights. I'm more confident when I visit my job service provider now and I'm spending time educating other people and advocating for them on their behalf because uh, in the current system uh, people are being bullied and lied to and threatened and breached unfairly uh, and they need help. So if we stand together we can perhaps improve things for unemployed workers in this country. This could happen to anybody being unemployed. Absolutely. Um, You know, it's the... The redundancy, the car crash, the the cancer diagnosis, the natural the family breakup, family breakup. These things can happen to anyone at any time, through no fault of their own. Um, so to treat unemployed people, uh, to demonise them and criticise them for being unemployed is is just plain cruel. Because I don't choose to be unemployed. I don't. I didn't choose to have a workplace accident back in 2011 that prevents me from working in my trade. I had to go and retrain and learn office administration. And unfortunately now, the bulk of office administration jobs available are via uh, recruitment agencies that offer short-term contracts. So there's no ongoing secure employment uh, for a woman my age. That's it for Stick Together. Thanks for you for listening. Thanks to Owen Bennett. Emma Dawson and AUWU members for being part of the program today. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, There's a reunion for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Until next time, stick together.